After 8 p.m., President Sir Ramaphosa delivering his fifth State of the Nation address. And as you would know, of course, a sauna that uh, takes place in a very different and uncertain environment uh, with the backdrop of the COVID-19 virus uh, that has killed thousands of South Africans and a nation that's still awaiting the vaccine, uh, but also, I guess, a lot uh, that uh, the president was speaking about there. But um, as he started, really outlining four uh, overriding priorities, the first of which was to defeat COVID-19, the second to accelerate the economic recovery, the third to implement economic reforms uh, that uh, enable uh, uh, job creation and inclusive growth, and then the fourth to uh, fight corruption and to strengthen the capacity of the state uh, to be able to uh, intervene in the development project that the sixth administration is undertaking. Uh, do let us know, I mean, what some of your thoughts have been. I think many people going into this particular sauna uh, came into it, I guess, uh, with uh, the uh, pessimism of the moment, if I can say that. And uh, what do you make of this? Uh, certainly uh, some of the remarks the president made when it comes to the vaccine. Uh, many of you would recall we uh, had a conversation with the General Secretary of Nehau earlier on in the week, Simbu uh, Zuzola, to say, which vaccine are you going to use? Well. A president coming out and saying that uh, the J&J vaccine is going to be used for frontline healthcare workers. Around 9 million doses are set and anticipated there. And a further consignment, of course, of Pfizer, 20 million doses set to arrive at the end of March. And, uh, of course, a lot else that uh, the president touched on, um, uh, which included uh, some of the implications at a local government level of the path of reprioritization, and I guess the deferral of some uh, critical projects there. Uh, but uh, also, I guess, all of this happening in an economy which uh, in December was 6% smaller and uh, beset by extensive job losses across a range of sectors. Uh, so uh, we're going to be making sense of this. We're going to be making sense of this environment and uh, even the, some of the suggestions that were made around combating corruption, you know, some of the social compacts uh, that have been arrived at for different sectors, for ESCOM, uh, you know, some comments on BEE, Presidential Employment Stimulus. And uh, we're going to be uh, making sense of uh, all of the different elements, of course, organized under the framework the president presented of the four key areas, uh, the four apex priorities of uh, the current moment. Tessa Dooms is going to join me in the next uh, few minutes or so. We'll also uh, check in with SABC political reporter. Uh, Samgela Masego, who's also going to join us to make sense of some of these remarks. We'll also be trying to make sense, uh, I guess, of uh, earlier promises that were made in 2019 and in 2020 and uh, ask ourselves where we are in terms of that. Uh, I mean, the, the new smart city, of course, uh, something that came up in the last year's uh, SONA and uh, also some of the remarks on youth employment as well and uh, the signing of performance agreements, uh, uh, you know, and uh, yeah, a lot that was said then. And we'll be asking ourselves where have uh, or how far have we come on many of these areas. Tessa Dooms is going to join me in the next few minutes or so, and so will Samgile Masego as well. So let's take this brief break. When we come back, uh, we check in with uh, Tessa Dooms, social analyst and researcher. We also take some of your perspectives uh, on the uh, fifth sona presented there by President Sir Ramaphosa. You can also give us a ring on 089-110-3377. Now go Twitter, guess, to corner on at MetroFMSA. Use the hashtag there, MetroFMTalk. We take this brief break. And uh, we make sense of this evening of uh, some of the remarks the president has just made, uh, completing his speech a few minutes ago, and uh, yeah, the State of the Nation address in 2021 at a time when I guess the nation doesn't find itself 
in a very, very good state, uh, what with COVID-19 and uh, I guess everything else that's happening. Tessa Doom, social analyst and researcher, joins me on the line uh, to uh, try and make sense of uh, some of these issues. We'll also be joined shortly by Samgela Masegwa as well. Tessa, good evening to you and welcome. Tessa, I just saw your tweet, um, and I guess, you know, just like with many South Africans, uh, probably commenting on the poetics of the moment. Uh, we certainly do know that, uh, I guess, the, the president has, has often drawn from the canon of um, literature here at home and elsewhere. And uh, I, I guess uh, starting off on a very poetic note and uh, the Feinbos analogy. Um, yeah, I guess uh, often speaking of uh, this theme of resilience. Well, what did you make of that? Maybe that's a good place to start. Yeah, um, I think that we need to be very clear that um, when we have a speech like this, especially in a moment like this, um, what people are looking for is content. And I think we spend an inordinate amount of time tonight um, not on content. Um, and while we did get to the meet eventually, um, I just think that there's a, there's a moment for everything. And um, this moment required us to get to business. And um, as as poetic and, you know, um, as intriguing as some of those um, poetry and quotation moments are, um, they certainly don't necessarily add um, substance to what it is that we need to hear. Mm -hmm. Talking about that substance, I mean, I want us to maybe start off, I guess, on the four most o overriding priorities or apex priorities that the president um, spoke of. And let's start off there with the defeating COVID-19. I mean... Many people would suggest, I guess, there's uh, been a considerable amount of bungling when it came to uh, the vaccine story. And maybe I'm sort of being rather harsh here. But, uh, um, I mean, what do you make of the assurances that were given that, you know, the vaccine uh, rollout and distribution program is fully underway? And uh, I guess some of the amounts that were mentioned there. Yeah, I think the president is very cautious tonight. I'm only mentioning two um, amounts, the $9 million from J&J, &J from Johnson & Johnson, and then the $20 million from Pfizer, um, and both kind of, uh, you know, very um, vague in terms of the timelines that uh, so that we don't end up in the same situation. We don't end up um, having expectations that get dashed. We don't end up um, expecting more than what can be delivered. Um, I think what's going to be interesting is I'm um, seeing, especially with the Johnson and how quickly we are able to um, sign the agreements and make more um, deals that get more of the Johnson & Johnson into the system quickly since we know that that's the one that we know for sure is most effective on the dominant mm. strain in, in SA. Um, I think as we wait for COVAX to see, you know, the luck of the draw in terms of what we get there, we, we certainly are in a unique situation as South Africa because we've got this dominant strain um, that the rest of the world doesn't have in the same way. And we need to um, be thinking about the ways we, we're not just taking anything that we can off the shelf, but we're taking the things that are going to make the most sense for us. Mm. Um, I think slow and, and steady may win the race in this one because I think well, we've seen what happens um, when we rush yeah. towards, um, you know, just getting started and then end up with egg on our faces. You know, Tessa, I can't check the feeling that, um, you know, surely we should have known. I mean, and, and when I say that, I don't, you know, say it with the benefit of hindsight, but I say it in the context where, you know, um, considerable amount of, I guess, you know, some of the contract manufacturing for J&J &J is happening in South Africa. Um, and we knew that the storage conditions of the J&J &J vaccine were more suitable to our own climate here in South Africa. Uh, why did we not, I guess, make a bigger play for J&J? &J? And maybe, I guess, the other dimension of the question is the notable absence of the state-owned pharmaceutical company from the debate. I mean, I, I don't hear anybody talking about Gitla Pila. 
Um, and I guess the, the potential role they ideally should be playing here, not just in, you know, manufacture of the vaccine here on contract, but potentially, I guess, in um, mapping out some form of distribution framework from which we can draw on. So remember that the first um, port of call when it came to a vaccine was safety. And we had, because we had participated in the AstraZeneca um, trials, we had very high levels of confidence in the safety of AstraZeneca. And of course, at that point, we also weren't dealing with a new um, variant that would be dominant in South Africa. So the, the long play was being made on the fact that we had participated in the study and we could vouch for AstraZeneca. So there was um, a confidence in that. J&J also, um, again, slow and steady wins the race because J&J went at a slower rate when it came to finalizing their vaccine. They're one of the last vaccines to actually come through an approval process. But that's also because they started testing for other variants. They started doing other things um, later in the game than, uh, than Pfizer and others. And so um, we were in a catch-22 situation because we didn't know whether J&J was going to have the same efficacy or different efficacy for our um, local variants. And so the, the, I think the logic was we need some level of protection and we knew that um, AstraZeneca was going to be safe. And even if it was not going to provide the optimal amount of protection, um, we didn't know that J&J was going to produce the results that it did. Um, your, your point about the local pharmaceutical industry is an important one because we haven't been able to invest in our pharmaceutical industry in, so that it could respond to this moment. The fact that mm. it is in the back foot, the fact that the best that we're doing is a deal um, with um, J&J to produce in South Africa, but we have not participated as an industry, means that we have sure. not invested enough, we've not taken this industry seriously enough, and we've allowed multinationals to really overrun us when it comes to our own um, abilities to play in the space. Mm -hmm. Let, let's talk about acceleration that economic recovery. I mean, the president touched on some of the things that were done between, I would say, March of last year, maybe April, not March, around April or so uh, towards December when it came to, I guess, the economic recovery package, half a trillion rand uh, in stimulus, uh, was also, I guess, unpacking some of the limitations and the challenges that that uh, particular package was faced with. Um, uh, and maybe I guess that's a good starting point. What do you make of that uh, within the context of him seeing the economic recovery as one of the apex priorities? So I think in terms of the COVID response, um, tonight's address lacked honesty. It lacks honesty in terms of failures around the UIF and the terrorist um, system. It lacked honesty around the failures around the, um, the SASA grants and the ways in which we had so many stop and starts to that process. And it's just us too long to get to the point that we've got our systems up and running. And now, even in January, we found ourselves in a new crisis when it came to the kind of relief that we gave. And we mustn't separate that relief out from the economic recovery, because we must remember that that relief was meant mm. to provide a, a stimulus into the most local parts of our economy, sure. putting money in the hands of people who are going to spend in their local environments and keeping them above not the poverty line, which is a high bar. We were just keeping people above the hunger line. And so um, we, we, we can't um, underestimate the failures that happen in that space. And particularly, there were two failures that he glossed over with, with just such speed. The one is the SMA fund that just did not get off the ground outside, mm. uh, out of um, the Department of Small Business. There are way too few people who got their, the, uh, the money that came from there, I think about 10%. And we're sitting with a similar problem with the banks, where out of $200 billion, 
that the bank guarantee um, loan scheme was meant to distribute. Mm. It's only distributed 18 billion. And so we, we had this promise of 500 billion, but it hasn't been 500 billion in real sure. terms yet. And we're now going into a new financial cycle. And there's no real understanding of where, you know, those plans, why did they not happen? And now we're just going to roll them over and pretend like it's new money. Mm. Um, yeah. There really wasn't a sense of accountability. And now we're talking about very long-term um, economic recovery. But the immediate um, failures and successes and needs are not being spoken about adequately. Tess, are we making the same mistake we, we made last year? of trying to think we can time the term horizon of the virus. Uh, so there's the sense that, you know, if you kick the can down the road for an additional three months, uh, that gives you some breathing space to be able to find the money or, or to effectively deal with, you know, the uh, crisis of expectations that comes with cutting support. I mean, if I think about the TERS scheme, you know, a lot of people, I guess, welcoming, you know, the extension of TERS. But, but there's something in what the president said which indicates it's not the full TERS. It's not the TERS for everybody that we had in the first part of the relief measures. But effectively, it's a TERS. It's for the sectors that were closed uh, during some of the, you know, successive lockdowns that we've had. And then, of course, another three-month extension of the social uh, relief of distress grant of 350 rand. Are, are, we, are we falling into the same trap of thinking, you know, in three months' time, we'll be done with this thing and we can carry on with our pre-2019 lives? A hundred percent. I mean, one of the big gaps in the speech was there was no mention um, of where talks and negotiations are around the BIG, around the basic income grant. I mean, that was just for me a, a glaring, glaring gap, because what we're saying at this point is that we're kicking the can three months down the road for TERS, and again, it's a it's a narrow version of TERS, and then the the relief grant, and then we're talking about long-term projects. We're talking about infrastructure projects that haven't even got legs yet um, as, as part of the input. Even the, um, the, the presidential um, employment stimulus, what wasn't said tonight is that those 600,000 um, job opportunities, which are not full jobs in the full sense, they're public employment initiatives, also come to an end in March. So we heard nothing about what happens beyond March. Um, you know, do those contracts get extended? Um, are there going to be more uptake? 600,000 is not enough. Um, is there going to be more uptake? We're just not hearing about this gap that I see in the, in the plan that says we've done stuff now. We, you know, 2020, we did what we can, and we're now planning for the future. But there's an immediate crisis because COVID is not going away. In the next year or two, we're still going to be in lockdown mode until we've yeah. reached um, a, a level of herd immunity that we all feel comfortable with. Mm-hmm. Tessa, I want us to pause here for a second and uh, we'll certainly continue our discussion after a brief spot break and uh, also inviting some of our listeners uh, to uh, weigh in on our conversations. Give us some of your reflections on uh, the remarks the President Sir Ramaphosa made in the State of the Nation address, uh, which uh, was completed just over, well, just under 15 minutes ago. And uh, you can do so on 089-110-3377. We'll also take a look at some of the tweets that are coming through there on Twitter on at MetroFMSA. Use the hashtag MetroFMTalk. We're also out on Facebook on MetroFMSA. Uh, we take a brief break now and uh, we'll continue with our discussion with Tessa Dooms. And Samgila Masego is going to join us as well after this. It's 18 minutes now before 9 p.m. You tuned into Metro FM Talk here on the Mighty Metro. And, of course, uh, following the remarks the president uh, made earlier on uh, in the State of the Nation address, his fifth 
as uh, uh, President of the Republic, and uh, I'm joined by uh, Tessa Dooms uh, to uh, make sense of uh, some of the remarks, social analyst and a researcher. Uh, we had intended to be joined by Samgele Masego, but uh, certainly if anybody has a Channel 4 or 4 of the SABC playing in front of them, they might have seen that uh, I guess uh, he's actually on, on the beat this evening, uh, so we might not be able to uh, contact him, but we certainly w are going to be uh, taking some reflections from the social partners as well and uh, getting some uh, uh, feedback from business and labor as well. But uh, before we do that, uh, Tessa, I mean, I'm quite interested in your views on uh, some of the things that the president had spoken about last year, um, you know, and uh, some of the updates that were given on that score, Lanceria, the new smart city there. Uh, you know, he'd also uh, made some suggestions in the 2020 uh, discussions about uh, student accommodation, young people at uh, universities and TVET colleges, uh, you know, set to benefit from a boon in accommodation infrastructure for them. But what we actually saw, I mean, if you look at the special adjustment budget, was actually a slashing of some of the infrastructure resources that were dedicated for the TVET sector. Um, do, do you think, I guess, there was an honest appraisal of some of that reprioritization? I mean, he made mention of it. Uh, but uh, I guess, you know, the, the implications of that were probably something that uh, he didn't touch on. Yeah, it was a little bit of a bait and switch tonight. Um, we were lured in with this idea of the smart cities. Um, one, without timelines or targets. Two, without a comprehensive link between um, this kind of big ma major infrastructure project, our scarce resources in the fiscus, and um, the jobs plan that needs to, you know, that this needs to be able to support. And so it felt like a bit of a carrot without um, any grounding, without any sense of when, how, and where. Um, the same is true for the student accommodation. Um, sure, we have a great need for student accommodation. Um, it's certainly a good um, thing if we have infrastructure projects that can bring in um, skills. But that came, again, without timelines, without a sense of where this money is coming from and how the fiscus is going to be able to deal with it, um, especially in a time where we know that the budget prioritization has happened and that $100 million that 12 months ago was available for the, um, the newly developed project management office for infrastructure in the president's office was there is not there in the same ways anymore. And so one is left asking, um, you know, is this still a dream phase? You know, it's nice to even have um, documents. But given the current um, realities that we are facing, is this where we need to go? And, and it struck me also that when we got to the tail end and we started talking about municipalities, especially in a local government election here, we didn't hear about the infrastructure projects at that level. We didn't hear about the very uh, immediate need, not for a water dam project, but for actual taps in people's houses and making sure, sure that water runs into those taps today. So it just felt like we were given um, a bit of, you know, something that was nice and icing and decorating and, and you know, and sweet on the top. Um, but we don't actually know what's in the cake. Mm. Let's talk about more sweet things that were mentioned. Presidential employment stimulus, 430,000 job opportunities supported, a further 180,000 uh, in recruiting at the moment across a wide array of spaces, education, arts, global business services, ECD, environmental programs, you know, uh, 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 what is it, um, sort of, uh, you know, wetlands rehabilitation, all manner of things. What, what do you make of, of that, Tessa? Certainly as somebody who has worked in that particular space uh, for a considerable amount of time. I mean, th this idea that, you know, uh, the public sector um, can sort of catalyze, uh, you know, first-time entrance into the labor market through an initiative like this. Uh, what do you make of, 
I guess the numbers it's hit based on some of the promises and expectations that have been created in previous owner. Yeah, I think the, this is a big step forward. Um, using the public employment program in this way, um, I know the South Africans are very testy about you know giving grants and giving other kind of social relief. And so um, being able to merge social relief with employment opportunities, even though they're short term, is, is certainly a good thing for the state to undertake. Um, also looking at the social services, looking at the health sector, looking at the education sector, and being able to plug young people particularly into these spaces is a good thing. Um, I think there were two weaknesses in that. The one is that um, those um, many of those opportunities actually come to an end in this financial year. So we have not heard what happens in the next financial year, which I found a little bit um, disturbing. And the second is the, the real opportunity here lies in where the private sector comes on board and we create a sustainable public-private partnership around these so that, number one, they're not only dependent on the state. Mm. Number two, we can increase their wages. And number three, we can increase the time frames that they run because we know that right now the the private sector is not in the position to create the kind of jobs yet that it needs to we know smes are not ready to you know get the the boost that they need we're talking about such small numbers also with smes so that they can absorb labor so this is a a a beautiful opportunity really to have the Mm. private sector come on board partner with government spend some of their csi money spend some of their ed money and really make these more meaningful opportunities and so um i i i laud the fact that they've moved along with this um we see that the pathway manager has got a million young people on it um the question Mm. is really going to be its pathways to where and until we've answered that question um you know the country is still going to be looking at it with skepticism yeah, yeah. Tessa, hold the line there for me for a second. I've got the General Secretary uh, on the line of the National Union of Metal Workers of South Africa, NUMSA, uh, Irvin Jim. Uh, Irvin Jim, good evening to you and welcome. Good, good evening, Um, You know, GS, I mean, I guess the, the, the first part of my question certainly has to do about whether or not you welcomed some of the uh, suggestions around cre- the creation of robust manufacturing support programs, the sector master plans, uh, which I would assume you've also been part of and been party to. I mean, the president speaking of those as, as a social compact. What do you make of that? And I guess the calls for much greater localization. Well, I mean, we going to have to do a lot of work, Ayabonga, before we can uh, applaud and, and, and be positive about this sauna. I think we have been victims of throwing around of huge numbers um, that government billions, projects, infrastructure, 100 million, 500 billion. I was this afternoon looking at some institute that would have done an analysis and it basically say out of the 500 billion that were told that has been spent, nothing much has been, nothing has been executed. And I mean, I, if you look at the tweet I did as I was listening, I almost say, I almost felt that there's a need to take government to court to say, you said A, B, C, D in the last sauna, you said this. We want you to disclose in this court where are these projects, how many people are employed, how many people are, are beneficiaries, who are, who, who's driving this particular project. And I'm just saying, we are facing a job loss bloodbath the whole mm. of 2020. I mean, one of the things that he, which what the president reminded me by saying auto sector is fine. I'm handling last week 250 jobs in Yudnake, 
are being lost. The very mm-hmm. same autofracts are to the decision that, a, that they must be supplied from Botswana. Jobs are being exported uh, next door. And mm-hmm. um, I mean, what you see across the industry is permanent workers being retrenched massively, replaced sure. by um, learnership, replaced by yes jobs. And I mean, young people were just paid a stipend. So there's a huge crisis. Than what um, mm. uh, than what uh, than what what we hear being okay. said that no with the eye on the ground. Sure. No, Pala, we're going to have to leave it there, unfortunately. Uh, We're sort of nearing, running out of time. But as always, a pleasure to hear from you and, uh, of course, uh, the metal workers and uh, your perspective on some of what has emerged there. That there, the General Secretary of NUMSA, Irvin Jim. We'll take a brief break. When we come back, we hear uh, from uh, other trade unions as well. We'll also hear from business, some of their responses. And I'll continue with Tessa Doom. Stay tuned.